was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him.
chorus one more time. Just your voices. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there I paid, I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. 
of all to you. You paid the price for us. And we humbly come and worship you with all that we have. With our arms open wide, we listen to you and we'll respond in complete obedience to what you're calling us to do. May you be glorified here in this place this morning because of the obedient hearts that are following you. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. You guys, oh, you guys want to come down? Boy, you guys are fast. Do you like that last song? Yeah, I liked all of them, but I mean, I, that last song is really special to me. Sometimes I play that when I'm upstairs in my attic lifting weights, and it just causes me to bow down and thank God for all that he has done. Thank you guys for coming down and spending a couple minutes with me. Is your day going all right? Yes. So far? Good. How about football? Any of you guys football fans? I am. You are? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? The Chiefs. Okay. Well, if Miss Amy's here, she'll be whooping it up about that. Anybody else pulling for the Eagles? Okay. <laughs> looks like we're a Chief Church, right? All right, so anybody play football? Any of you guys play football? All right, you watch football a little bit. Does anybody know what this is? Looks like a scorecard. You've probably seen it on television. When your mom and dad are watching football, probably just your mom, but I mean, when you're watching football and you see the, the quarterback and he has one of these things on his arm like this, right? Have you ever seen that? has plays on it. That's right. And you know what they do is the quarterback is looking over at the sideline, and, and who's calling the play? Well, the coach is, right? And the coach tells him where to look on here, and he looks down there, and then he finds it, and then he tells all the players what the play is going to be. And hopefully it'll work. Well, did you know that God gave us something like this? He's given us all the plays for us to run in our life. And he's calling from the sidelines, and he's saying, why don't you run that play right there in that situation? What do you think these plays are? What do you think he's given us? What's our playbook? The Bible is. God has given us all the instructions that we need, all the plays that we need to run our life well and to do well in life. And if we don't know it, we won't be able to coach will say, well, run this play. Say, What's that? But if we read the Bible, we will understand what God wants us to do with our lives. The Bible, it says, the Bible itself tells us that it's inspired by God. That means that God literally breathed life into it, just like he breathed life into Adam, and he breathes life into us, and he uses this to guide us. So, next time you see the quarterbacks, when are you going to see the quarterbacks next time? Probably when you watch Super Bowl, right? And when you see that, you know what the quarterback is? Okay. You look for the man that has one of these on his arm, okay? 
And when he looks down at that, I want you to say, oh yeah, Pastor Raymond said our Bible is like that because that's where we get the plays to win the game, okay? Make sense, Morgan? All right, well, let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you've given us clear directions. It's not confusing as to how to follow you. It's a little bit hard, but it's not confusing. And I pray that you would help us each and every day to realize how valuable your Bible is and that we would read it, and that we would allow you to teach us and show us who you are and how much you love us in the direction for life, the path that leads to life. I pray that you would bless each one of these children with parents that likewise would feel as if they are carrying a playbook on their wrist all day long, guiding them through life so that they can guide their children. We thank you for who you are in Christ's name. Amen. All right, does anybody need this? Okay, we'll have a raffle later. How's that? All right, you guys go back to your seats. Thanks for coming down. All of a sudden, it's pretty cool, huh? Don't you love those kids? We just always want to be praying for our kids, the next generation. And thanks for being here today. Um, I want to remind you that next week is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, not because it's, well, because it's our anniversary. And I, I don't want you to be confused about that because there's a lot of stuff about Raymond and Michelle. and Friends, do you ever celebrate anniversaries at your house where it's just you're celebrating one person? You always celebrate together, right? We wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And so this is our anniversary together. Uh, we've already picked two presents for you for next, for next week. And one of them you, you may like. It's kind of like getting, you know, socks or something like that for, for Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's more of a need. It's something that's healthy. It's good. And then I guarantee you like the second gift. You can't go wrong on the second gift. And so we're going to celebrate all this together. We have some fun surprises. I'm sure you probably have a surprise or two uh, for Michelle and I that we're unaware of. But uh, all collectively, we're going to have some fun surprises next week. And so I hope that you'll be here and uh, we get to do that together. Uh, I wanted to go back to the video. Thanks again for your support for our kids when, it, when the decision came about uh, asking Westgate to uh, potentially invest in their new church start. I recused myself because I didn't feel like that was a, a, a wise thing to do, so I just let decisions be made, whatever they were. And I thank you for your generosity, and I tell you some cool connections there. Uh, obviously, they're, they're our daughter and son-in-law. Uh, but I want to tell you about Paige, Wade, Clayton over here. Would you guys just stand up for a second? They're Wade and Paige's oldest son and Clayton's older brother is going to be a founding member of that church. He lives up in Fort Worth, and he is all in on this deal, and he is going to be a founding charter member of Trinity. So when you see these guys, you got a connection there. And there's a... And then whenever you come into the, this side, this entrance, you'll see three crepe myrtles there with some flowers and rocks around them. Will, their son, that's going to be a part of this church, was the one that did that for his Eagle Scout project. So it's just kind of a cool connection of how God allows us to be used 
in his kingdom's work. So thank you guys, and thanks for your, I hope it works out. I'm going to be real embarrassed if he decides he doesn't like the church or <laughs> doesn't like the pastor, but it just, it's, it's, it's bizarre for me to think that, that Will grew up in this church, and I was his pastor, and now my son-in-law is going to be his pastor. So just some kind of crazy stuff. Uh, and again, thanks to our, our man-to-man uh, ministry. Uh, started off great last Sunday night. You know, had all that rain, and yeah, we, we definitely had the wristband playbook trying to figure out if we needed to call an audible because it was so nasty. But we had 70 guys show up. And we had about 50 guys here Wednesday night. I wanted to thank all of the ladies from the WOW that helped out to make that dinner so special uh, last Sunday night. I want to thank Dave Carpenter. He's our coach uh, during this journey of Christian doctrine study, teaching us on Wednesday nights, and we're breaking up into small groups to better understand what that looks like. And uh, for all you guys who are here Wednesday, and it was a little bit chaotic with the noise in here, next Wednesday we're going to break up into rooms so it's a little bit quieter, and uh, you can discuss it. We've got a group meeting this evening. Uh, check with me. We'll give you more information about that. Well, last week we began a look at Jude's postcard to Christians, and some of you uh, were thinking, I know what you're thinking, I can see those bubbles floating over your heads, is that since a postcard is shorter than a letter, shouldn't the sermons be shorter than they normally are? And uh, that certainly wasn't true last week. I, I apologize, I had way too much content and so it ran pretty long, so I'll try to do a little bit better. Nobody complained to me personally. It's just I'm aware of that, and so we'll try to do a little bit better. Uh, but as we call this thing a providential postcard, it's a reminder that Jude was planning on writing another letter to Christian leaders in the Mediterranean region, and he was going to be talking about salvation, which is going to be a really cool letter. I mean, we wish that we would have had that, but in God's providence, he said this is something more important. When he was getting ready to write that, Jude heard God call an audible at the line of scrimmage, and he said, you guys are at the red zone. You really have to dial up your game, and so he gave us this very critical postcard that reminds us of some very important truths. The theme of the book is found in Jude chapter, uh, I keep on saying chapter, it's Jude 3, it's only one chapter. Verse 3 is where he says, you must contend for the faith. Why must we contend for the faith? Is because the faith is under attack. Now, just if ever you wonder, is God going before us? Is he active? Is, he, is his word relevant? I got to tell you, last week when we were talking about this, we were introducing the book, and we talked about how false teachers had creeped into the church do you remember a particular reptile that we referred to that they creep in like a, a lizard, right? Sunday afternoon, when I came up here for the man-to-man event, that lizard was on the wall in the church office. <laughs> it's not like we have lizards around here all the time. So Sunday morning, we're talking about false teachers creeping into the church like lizards, Sunday afternoon, I come up here, and by the way, it wasn't by my office, just, just in case you're wondering, has, am I the false teacher that has creeped in here? It's, but I just thought, you know, okay, two options here. God is saying, okay, you guys are right on, on target here, or Satan is slipping in saying, just wanted to jerk your chain a little bit. I think God is just reminding us of the relevance of his word. You know, Jude wouldn't be known today. We wouldn't have any clue as to who Jude is 
had he not written this particular short, powerful postcard. But the reason that we know about him is because he was obedient, which reminded us last week that contending begins with obedience. Unless we're obedient, we can't contend for the faith. We saw last week that faith is a fight because not all beliefs are equal. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was stating that Christianity is unique to all other faiths, and Jude is doing the same thing. You don't contend for something that's not unique. If it's like everything else, there's no need to contend for it. And Jude is saying, we have something very special here. Don't let it be tainted, contaminated by false teachers. It's been appropriately said that no combination of bad eggs will make a good omelet. And so he is saying, separate the bad from the good. Not all beliefs are equal. He was also saying we must fight for the faith because ungodly beliefs are pervasive and they're very subtle. When he used the term the faith, he used a definite article, he was saying, it's one of a kind. There's none like it. It's complete. It lacks absolutely nothing. Meaning that we're not free to alter Scripture. We're not free to alter the message of Christ. We're not free to alter the gospel, to accommodate what we want to believe or what our lifestyle is dictating. It doesn't need to be updated. Chances are you have a phone, and there's a pretty good chance that sometime in the next month or two you'll be asked to what? Update your phone. And if you don't update your phone, your phone won't work really well. In fact, if you keep missing updates, there'll come a point where your phone won't work at all. But the gospel is not like a phone that needs to be updated. It is complete. It lacks absolutely nothing. And those ungodly beliefs are all around us telling us it needs to be updated. It needs to be more progressive. It needs to be more in tune with the times. And God's word is complete. We need to fight for the faith because beliefs guide our behavior. See, if we don't believe the right thing, we won't behave the right way. If we don't believe the right thing, we won't behave the right way. And that's what Jude is saying. Forget about standing on the wrong side of history. He's saying stand on the right side of history because history is his story, God's story. The Christian effort, as Jude is reminding us, requires great effort on our part. It's not a one-and-done proposition. Every generation must contend for the faith, and the church is a protector of the faith. We don't delegate that to someone else. The church is a protector of the faith, so we ask the question, how are we doing with our generation in protecting the faith? You think about what God has given us, the purpose that Christ came to save us, is that we might have a loving relationship with God. That's worth contending for, right? So that's why I said last week, Christianity should smell like a sweaty locker room that permeates with the aroma of hard-fought battles. Jude's turned on the security system. He's warning us of danger. He's saying, pay attention, be prepared. And he continues to warn us by giving some examples as we continue in the book. Examples to remember. Israel, angels, Sodom, and Gomorrah. You can find that in the Pew Bible, page 1909. 
It says in verse 9, though you already know all this, I want to remind you. That's why we're saying these are examples to remember. Jude is referencing something that they already know about. says, I want to remind you of truth that you need to be aware of. George Santina, Edmund Burke, Winston Churchill all said virtually the same thing. Those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. Some of you have studied Patrick Lincielny for leadership lessons and principles. Great insight. He says his favorite quote is from Samuel Johnson, who was an English writer of the 18th century. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And Jude is saying, let me remind you of truth that you already know about, but it's so important because we tend to forget. So the examples that he gives us, first of all, is Israel. Look at verse 5 of Jude. It says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And again, he's writing very fast. It's a quick postcard. And so he's appealing to what people already know. He's not giving a lot of detail to it, but he's making reference points. And he's referencing back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So you recall that God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. They had these incredible miracles of 10 plagues. They had the parting of the Red Sea. They're fed by manna. They're fed by quail. God goes before them. They strike a rock. Water comes forth. Miracle after miracle after miracle, they stand at Mount Sinai. God gives them the law. And after they are all prepared, as God has prepared them, spending over a year preparing them to go into the promised land, they send out 12 spies to scout the land, the land of Israel, known as Canaan at the time. And as they come back, you remember 10 of them gave a bad report, two of them gave a good report, And what did the people do? They said, you know, I know that he parted the Red Sea. We walked over on dry land. I know that he gave us the law, and he's fed us all these miraculous ways. But can he really be trusted now? We go back to Genesis chapter 3. That's what Satan was saying. Can you really trust God? Yeah, you, you could trust him in the past. That's one of Satan's greatest lies. Sure, there was reason to trust him in the past, but can you really trust him now? And they doubted. And because of that, what happened? Everybody that was 20 and below was relegated to die in the wilderness. It's been calculated that all the people died, that they had a funeral every 100 yards over those 40 years. Wow. And they had to wait. Could you imagine being the last guy? Everybody knows you're the last guy. Man, if you just die, we can go in the promised land. And finally, the last one dies. Even Moses disobeyed God and didn't get to go into the promised land. And so Jude is saying, take this very seriously. Lack of belief is a serious offense against God. Don't trust these false teachers that come in and give you false beliefs. It gives the example of angels. This, in Jude 6, uh, this is one of the most difficult verses in, in all of Scripture to translate, to interpret, I should say. It says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment of the great day. Who is he talking about? Well, typically, we would, we would just go back generic. He's talking about the angels that followed Satan in the rebellion against God, and, and that's who the discussion is about. But as you look through commentators, you will find that the 
general consensus, not everybody believes this exactly, but the general consensus is that this is a reference back to Genesis chapter 6. And these are sermons you just don't hear much about. I know I didn't. I know that I haven't preached them before, but Genesis 6, 4 is, is just one of those weird verses. And it talks about the sons of God. Angels, referencing angels who had fallen and then they had positioned themselves to be like mortal man and then they had engaged in activities that led to children with women and as we hear that this is right before god destroys the earth with a flood and it talks about the wickedness of what they've done not only have they rebelled against god but then they have moved beyond their boundary of being free for a time to tempt humanity but now they've gone even beyond that boundary and because of that the nephilim were born which were giants and did all kinds of crazy wild things and as jude is talking about that he is saying they didn't keep their positions they wandered like he mentioned same word that was used previously in this book that they wandered from the faith how do we how do we wander from the faith we don't just jump way into crazy stuff usually it's usually a gradual process, just like you've heard about the frog being boiled in the water. A gradual process. And they wandered away and abandoned the place that God had ordained for them, and now they are kept in darkness. Their punishment is even worse than the other angels who rebelled against God, bound with everlasting chains for one judgment on that great day. Be careful, he says not only to disbelieve, but to move beyond your boundary of what and who is your authority, of God. So we've had the example of Israel and their unbelief. We've had the example of the angels who usurp authority. Examples of Sodom and Gomorrah in Jude chapter 7, verse 8. Verse 7, 8. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Again, here is Jude writing quickly. Not a lot of detail, just referencing what people already knew. This should be affirmation for us about Scripture, that the, what you read in the Bible is not some uh, hearsay, it's not some fantasy, it's not some myth. He's referencing actual reality in history when he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. What is the passage there? You go back to Genesis chapter 19. Previous to that, you have this great dialogue between Abraham and God in which he's questioning, you know, would you destroy the city if, if there were 40, 45, 35, 30, 20? What would it take to destroy the city if there are that many righteous people? And this debate goes on, and it's discovered that there aren't even enough to redeem the city. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, we're told that one of the sins, or two of the sins, I guess you could say, of Sodom and Gomorrah was their pride, and their neglect of the poor. And there are people today who try to twist that and say that was the real sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It had nothing to do with sexual immorality. But you see, when you put all that together, you discover that when you are self-absorbed in sexual immorality, you forget about everybody else. Few sins cause us to be more self-absorbed than sexual immorality. And note the two words that are used there. Sodom and Gomorrah, I think all of us understand the story of what happened there. God rained down fire and sulfur from heaven. 
and it was completely obliterated. But notice those two words, surrounding towns. You see, sin spreads. It's contagious. It's like a virus. And as Jude is warning here, he is noting, be guarded because sin will spread. Paul talked about that. It's like yeast in bread. It will infect everybody. So remember how important it is to stay faithful to God. So as he gives these examples, he brings us to this conclusion of predictable outcomes should shape our decisions. Look at verse 7, verse, uh, verse seven the second part. These, these three, Israel, angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, and surrounding cities, they serve as an example of those who suffer punishment of eternal fire. He is saying every one of these decisions led to a very predictable destination and outcome. Was it confusing that angels who rebelled against God would be banished to eternal punishment? Is it confusing that Israel, when it would not believe in God, cost them the promised land? Is it confusing that sexual immorality leads to disastrous results? You see, when we get on a predictable path, it leads to a predictable outcome. Sin always has a predictable outcome. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, a passage that we read today if you're going through the Bible reading calendar, Jesus said that hell was pre prepared for Satan and his demons. God didn't design hell for any human to enter. And he's provided a way where nobody has to go there. But unfortunately, many do, just as Israel, just as the angels, just as those in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we might say, well, okay, I hear what you're saying here, but I mean, isn't hell just kind of one of those fabricated ideas among religious people? The New Testament talks about hell 12 different times. 11 of those times, it comes from the mouth of Christ. So it's not somebody else writing about it. It's Jesus speaking about it over and over and over to say, don't follow the predictable pathway and destination of sin. Heed the warnings of others. You know, we can distort the love of God into believing that sin isn't really that bad. We live in a culture like that. We see churches like that that have diluted the truth of God's word and distorted God's love to be that it's just for everybody, no matter what you do. You don't have to make any type of change. But you know, God hasn't changed his mind about sin. When we sang that song, Love Ran Red, what did it remind you of? Of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. You think God's going to change his mind after our sin cost Jesus Christ his very death, his life? God hasn't changed his mind about sin. He still opposes it. But you know, he gives us a pathway out of it, a pathway to be victorious over sin. You think about these passages of Scripture that, that Paul wrote about, Peter wrote about, this whole idea that we can be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It tells us that Paul is saying, we used to be like that. 
We used to be like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. We used to be like the angels. We used to be like Israel. But Christ has changed us. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you become a brand new creation in Christ when you submit your life to him and ask for his forgiveness. In Colossians 3, 7, Titus 3, 3, 1 Peter 1, 14, all say the same thing. What did Paul write in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Don't be conformed to the world. Hear what it says. Don't let the world change you. Friends, you've heard me say this so many times, I know you're probably sick of it. But the world keeps on saying you can't be changed. But the world is trying to change you, right? And Paul is saying to the church at Rome, don't be changed by the world. Let God transform you. Let him change you into the very image of Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is that we can be changed. And we can know what it is to be more than conquerors through Christ. The message of the gospel is so simple, that God loves us. And he created us to have a relationship with him. That's what John 3.16 is all about. But go further than that. Go to John 17.3 to be reminded that eternal life is knowing God. It's having relationship with him. It's not just having knowledge about him. But we can't experience that because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Talks about it in the Old Testament, New Testament. We've just seen examples right here of what sin does to us. It separates us from holy God, but that's why Jesus Christ came. Thankfully, he can make us right with God, and we need to be made right with God. Thankfully, Christ can make us right with God. All we have to do is to humbly repent. It means to turn away from our sins and turn to Christ and completely surrender our life to him. There's a lot of people that are claiming to be Christians that aren't living under the lordship of Christ. They are saying, I pray to receive Christ, but their life is not completely surrendered to him. 24-7, 365, and 366 on leap year. Completely surrendered to Christ. And if you've never done that, I would invite you to voice a prayer that begins that process with me. And if you're already a Christian, would you just say, Lord, thank you for your word, for these warnings. Maybe some of you are dancing a little bit close to sin. It is amazing how in human nature we try to get as close as we can to sin before it takes us under. And God is saying through Jude, stay away from sin as far as you can. So let's pray together. God, we thank you that you give us warnings through your word. We think of this short book that's so powerful, just peppers us with warnings. The security system has been set. We've been reminded Danger is working. Be prepared. Pay attention. God, we want to walk faithfully with you. We don't want to walk in fear, but we do want to be wise to recognize that we have been forewarned. Sin is dangerous, and it is out just as we hear about in the book of Genesis. It is crouching at the door, wanting to take hold of us. God, recognizing that you are the only one that can liberate us from the power and the penalty of sin. So if anybody in this room or those listening online have never surrendered their life to you, pleaded for your forgiveness, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this with a heart that reflects the words of this prayer. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. 
I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, might all of us just continue to do that over and over and over, recognizing that it's not a one-and-done enterprise of just saying, I surrender to you, but the daily surrendering, the daily invitation to you to transform us into the very image of Christ. Lord, guide us now as a church. Help us to make the decisions individually as well as collectively that we need to to be in the perfect will of what you've called us to do and be. In your name we pray, amen. You know, as we're gonna sing the song in just a moment, it serves as kind of a, a closure of commitment at the end of the service, but maybe you have a decision that you need to, to make public. Those are, that's the first step towards getting on the right journey. It's talking with someone else and saying, this is what I've committed to do. Maybe to receive Christ. Our deacons will be standing at the back. The deacons of the months will be, the triads will be standing at the back of each one of these aisles. Right now, these guys will begin to move there. Uh, I'll be standing over there at the cross. We'll be at the uh, communication uh, center after the service. You can meet us there in the atrium. You can fill out a communication card that looks like this and drop it in one of those offering boxes or bring it to the communication center afterwards. But any decision you might want to make. We're going to be baptizing in a couple of weeks. Maybe God is saying, it's time for you to be baptized, to demonstrate your faith to him. If you want to become a part of this church fellowship, this is a time to make conversation with, with some of these people, fill out a card and meet us. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. Friends, let's not take lightly that maybe some of us are just drifting and we need someone to just pray with us and say, would you help me to stop the drift and get to where I need to be? So let's stand and let's respond together as God leads us. a place where sin and shame are powerless. And there my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. Where Like 
Jesus. God bless you. Have a great week.